The $118 billion so-called border bill is literally everything wrong with Washington, D.C. in one act. First, the timing. It was unveiled late in the afternoon, early evening on Sunday, February 5th, ahead of an expected vote this very week. Why in the world was Senate leadership, Mitch McConnell and his inner circle, why were they hiding this? What, what was the purpose of trying to hide the details of this negotiation, not just from the American people, but from their own Senate Republican caucus? Wouldn't you want buy-in from the very people whose votes you are going to need to ultimately get to 60 votes for cloture as a very basic matter of Senate arithmetic? You need 60 votes in order to overcome a filibuster. As of now, it does not seem like the votes are there. You even have some of the squishier members of the Republican caucus when it comes to the immigration issue, folks like John Cornyn of Texas, who are saying that they are scared of the bill in its current form. The media has been touting, been touting how James Lankford, the Senate Republican from Oklahoma, is a hardcore social conservative, and he's all in for the immigration, quote-unquote, border bill. I mean, there, there are more problems here than I would even know where to start. James Lankford is a Southern Baptist minister. I have no doubt as to his convictions when it comes to such deeply religious or religious adjacent questions as the right to life for the unborn child and abortion and one man, one woman marriage and all that. But the man has been a squish when it comes to the immigration issue for his entire career. As Ann Coulter recently noted in her Substack, it was in the year 2018 that James Langford was working frantically to try to push a bipartisan amnesty provision to legalize many illegal immigrants. He has a long and sordid history of advocating for illegal alien supremacy when it comes to this issue. In fact, it was actually very recently, it was it was just one or two weekends ago that the Oklahoma Republican Party, the Oklahoma GOP, formally issued a, a condemnation of Senator James Langford for his continued efforts to try to pass amnesty and weaken America's borders. It, it, it is utterly outrageous. It, it is utterly outrageous that the state of Oklahoma has a senator like James Lankford. Oklahoma, based on the margins of Donald Trump's victories, based on the margins of every Republican presidential candidate's victories going back over 20 years now, is consistently one of the very reddest states in the United States. In fact, this is one of my favorite stats in all politics. You actually can't make this up. In literally every single presidential election going back to 2004, when George W. Bush defeated John Kerry, the whole Swift Boats Veterans for Truth election feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Well, it was. It was 20 years ago. Going back that far, the state of Oklahoma has not had a single county, a single county in the whole state that has voted for a Democrat. You literally have to go back to the election prior to that, to the 2000, the infamous 2000 presidential Bush-Gore election to find the last time that a single county, and there are 77 counties in Oklahoma, they have literally all voted Republican in every presidential election going back to 2004. It's, it's just a remarkable statistic. It is a deep, deep red state. 
the margins where Republicans win at the presidential level are extremely high. Looking here just in 2020, Donald Trump defeated Joe Biden in that state by 33 points. And in 2016, it was it was even more than that. It was 36 points or so. How in the world do you end up with a James Lankford from a state like Oklahoma, a state like Wyoming, Mississippi, Idaho, these very, very right wing states where Republicans routinely win by massive margins? How in the world are you not just nominating the craziest right wing dude you can find? I mean, I don't want to dumb this down too much. Obviously, he has to be competent. He has to be civic minded. He has to be a statesman and all of those things we care about. But when it comes to substance, when it comes to the actual policy positions, when it comes to the issues that motivate the right, that motivate the conservative movement, that motivate the even MAGA, the, the Trumpist wing of the conservative party, how do you not find someone who is going to stand with you shoulder to shoulder on these issues? And it's unfortunate because th- this is one thing that Republican activists, not just the party itself, because the party has always been opposed to primary challenges, naturally, by definition, but Republican activists at the local and grassroots level, this is one thing that they have totally, totally let slip over the past decade or so. It was during the Tea Party era, during the 2009 to 2012 era, call it, Maybe going up to 2014 when you had the the dethroning of Eric Cantor there in that high-profile primary in, in central Virginia in the summer of 2014. For a period of time there, Republican conservative activists cared a lot about primary challenges, cared a lot, a lot about trying to defeat rhinos, Republicans in name only in primaries, people who are going to sell out the base and, for that matter, sell out the country on issues just like the immigration issue, just like this issue that is now consuming all of the media and all of the attention in Washington, D.C. Why do Republicans not seemingly care about primary challenges anymore? Are there any organizations on the right, for that matter, that are still invested in the day-to-day work of trying to identify targets for primary challengers and trying to actually recruit people in those districts who have a better track record and are more well-grounded, substantive conservatives. It's just completely inexplicable, again, in a state like Oklahoma to have someone like James Langford. It is an indictment, frankly, on the American right that someone like this, like James Langford, continues to serve in the United States Senate coming from a state as deep red as he's from. Look, if the, if the dude were from a state like Virginia, a light blue state, or may, maybe even a state like Georgia or Arizona, like which at this point is very, very, very light red, maybe purple on a bad day, that would be understandable-ish. But from Oklahoma, there, there really is just... No excuse there. As for the bill itself, which we kind of jumped over, $118 billion is the top line number. Right off the bat, it's worth pointing out that more than half of that, $60 billion of the, of the 118 is for Ukraine. We on this show have been consistent. We have been adamant for almost two years now that while we prefer Vladimir Zelensky to stay in power rather than Ukraine becoming a 
Belarusian-style Putin puppet state. You don't want someone like Alexander Lukashenko from Belarus being installed in Kiev for all of Zelensky's flaws, for all of his corruption and venality, and there is all of that. He is still better than having a Putin puppet there in Kiev. But, but for the better part of two years now, going back at least as far back as May or June of 2022, the majority of the fighting in the Russia-Ukraine war has been contained in large part to the Crimean Peninsula and the far eastern part of Ukraine there in the Donbass area. We're talking here about towns, villages that are ethnically, linguistically divided between Russians and Ukrainians there. It has been very obvious for a very long time now that there is not a pressing American national interest in this conflict. Rather, rather, the pressing American national interest is in seeing this conflict wound down so that America can better focus its attention, chiefly and primarily, on its number one geopolitical rival this century, which is China, the Chinese Communist Party, and secondarily on, apparently now, you have to focus on the Middle East, which the Obama and Biden administrations desperately, desperately wished to wind down America involvement in. However, they had the absolutely boneheaded, boneheaded, and just completely drippingly idiotic idea that the way to somehow wind down America's involvement in the Middle East and get America out of the region would be to empower your worst enemy in the region, the Islamic Republic of Iran. It's just utter insanity, but because the whole region is on fire, surely you have to start focusing more of your attention there as well. The Ukraine provision is is, is just right off the bat. A, a, I mean, to call that a red flag would be an understatement. It, it is a reason in and of itself to vote against the so-called border bill. The bill itself, the, the, the number that is getting the most attention in conservative media is the 5,000 number, which is this idea that if you have a seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters a day at the border or 8,500 encounters in a single day, then the president is going to have authority to just shut down the border. First of all, 5,000 encounters in a day is insane. I mean, if, if that is not an invasion in and of itself, then I have no idea what the word invasion even means at this point. Most important, though, most important, the president of the United States already has sweeping unilateral authority to shut down immigration at the border, largely by simple proclamation. This is authority that partially is is vested in the very nature of commander-in-chief from a constitutional perspective and partially has been delegated to him by the United States Congress. So I'm thinking here specifically of Section 212F of the INA, the Immigration and Nationality Act, which gives the president of the United States a broad authority to implement Im- immigration restrictions by simple proclamation. Specifically, what he can do is he can suspend the entry of, quote, any aliens or a class of aliens, or temporarily restrict the entry of a class of aliens if the president determines that those aliens would be detrimental. What that means, breaking down the legalese, is that the president has massive, massive unilateral authority as delegated to him from Section 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act to shut down large swaths of the United States-Mexico border. He has additional authority that has been delegated to him by two statutes passed during the Clinton era. The Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act of 1996 
And then the statute commonly known as EDPA, the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, which was passed in response to the Oklahoma City bombing. Both of these provisions give the president large, large leeway to tamp down illegal immigration. Among other things, by the way, that these two statutes do, and this is particularly interesting, is they actually allow the United States Attorney General to enter into agreements with state officials, including state attorneys general, to allow them to carry out specific immigration enforcement duties. What a world it would be if Joe Biden and Merrick Garland could end up doing that with Ken Paxton there in Texas. We would have avoided this whole nasty standoff between the feds and the state of Texas there at Eagle Pass. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wait for a different administration, it seems, before the president actually reclaims his previously delegated authority to control immigration at the United States border. Lots of other things about this bill that are are worth flagging there. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas did did a nice thread on Twitter pointing out some of the glaring flaws. Among the things that Senator Cotton points out is that this bill gives the DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, the right for the first time in American history to unilaterally grant asylum claims and therefore American citizenship. He can unilaterally grant asylum claims to illegal aliens without review by the immigration courts. I mean, if you don't think that that thing is going to be a massive, massive magnet to induce further legal immigration waves, I have no idea what you're smoking. Senator Cotton additionally points out that the bill codifies catch and release under a provision that is labeled, quote, alternatives to detention. This is for any alien who even says that he intends to apply for asylum. So if you if you basically come up to a border agent, you say that you intend to apply for asylum. And by the way, the current practice, this bill admittedly would reform that a little bit, but the current practice would be that you're allowed to apply for quote-unquote asylum for not just historic asylum reasons, such as being a persecuted ethnic group or a persecuted religion or a political ideology, but nowadays you're you're allowed to go to, to border patrol and say that you're simply just discriminated at home for economic reasons. So if you have any of that and you go up to a border patrol agent and you said you intend to apply for asylum, then you're codified for catch and release. Absolutely disgraceful and disgusting stuff. To make matters even worse, the bill gives immediate work permits to everyone who says they want asylum. So not only do not only do you get catch and release, but oh, by the way, you're also going to get a, a work permit as well. Again, this is just going to be a, a gargantuan incentive and a magnet when it comes to additional illegal immigration. The bill is gratuitously granting out 50,000 extra green cards per year for, for no seemingly no reason whatsoever there. Uh, and then uh, they're, they're putting a lot together in this bill. We mentioned the $60 billion to Ukraine. They're, they're saying it's $20 billion for the U.S. border. There, there is some stuff for the Eastern Pacific as well, for the China-Taiwan theater. And then there is some money going to Israel, badly needed money, that Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, to his credit, is saying that he's going to hold a standalone vote on. But, oh, by the way, just because this, this is the Biden administration and because they have to play nice with the Palestinian Arabs, oh, they're actually going to put in money there for quote-unquote humanitarian purposes in Gaza as well. And humanitarian purposes for Gaza, if you know anything about this conflict, if you have been following the scandals with UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, then you know that quote-unquote humanitarian aid for Gaza just means funneling money to Hamas and lining the pockets and the coffers of Hamas. So, 
this is an outrageous bill. It does nothing that is worth the price tag or anything remotely close to being worth the price tag. The president already has tons of authority, tons of authority to shut down immigration at the border. Highly ironic, isn't it, that leading Democrats from Joe Biden to Chris Murphy to lots of the talking heads are now saying, oh, my God, Republicans are going to take this immigration bill. It's like a crisis at the southern border. Dude, you've been saying for three years that there is no crisis at the southern border. You've defended Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas to the hilt. And now you have the chutzpah to say that it is a pressing crisis and that Republicans are playing hardball and not going to come to terms with your utterly crapulent, total turd toilet bowl of a bill. Give me a freaking break. This thing is dead on arrival in the House. I do not think it's going to get the 60 votes needed to even make it out of the Senate. Again, the very worst part of this to me is the fact that the senator from Oklahoma, James Langford, is the one who has been leading the charge on this from the Republican side of the aisle. A state that has had all 77 counties vote Republican in presidential elections for five consecutive presidential elections. Folks, if we don't hold our own side to account, if we don't hold accountable those on our own side who sell us out when it comes to the defining civilizational issues of our time, of which the border and the illegal immigration crisis is certainly, certainly at the top of the list, how in the world can we ever take the fight to the left if we cannot hold our own sides traitors to account? If you are a conservative activist in the state of Oklahoma, get rid of James Lankford and do so yesterday.